This is the Hymn Publications Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Harrington. Today we're featuring a sermon I preached on July 19th, 2020 at Harpeth Christian Church. You can read this sermon in text form at hymnpublications.com slash blog. Search for the title of this episode. Now for the sermon. Good morning to those who are here in person. It's good to see you. And to those joining us online, welcome. I'm Chad Harrington, and I'll be bringing the message today from Genesis chapter 22. You can go ahead and open your Bible there. Before we get into the text for today, let's review where we've been recently. As JP has walked us through the life of Abraham, in recent weeks we've seen how Abraham's story has unfolded. He's awaiting the fulfillment of the great promise that goes back to Genesis 12 that he and his descendants would become a great nation. Finally, at the age of 100 years old, he has his first son. It's like, all right, I guess we're getting along with this big plan to have a a large nation. (laughs) And, And here's what I wanna say, God wanted Abraham, even at that point, at this point in Genesis 22, to go even deeper. And so, in this chapter, God's not done with Abraham yet, and he's not done with us yet either. We have more to learn before our story is over. And so the truth is, is Genesis 22 is when God takes Abraham through the ringer with the ultimate test of obedience, one that challenges us, especially parents, to the core and by the way, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And I'm going to go verse by verse because this chapter is uniquely rich in every verse. And so this morning might feel a little different. We're going to walk through verse by verse, pausing as we go. After these things, it says in verse 1, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Abraham, at the time, was living in the land of the Philistines. According to Genesis 21, it says, for many days. And then God tests him. What was he doing before this? We don't really know. But maybe out of the blue, God tests him. And it's like, really, God? Is this necessary? I thought we had all this connection, faith thing figured out with the Isaac fiasco where you promised him and then I waited decades to get him. Like, I thought we were cool. I thought we were done with this. But it says God tested Abraham. And I think it's important to notice that it's God testing him. You know, there's different kinds of tests. There's when Satan can actually test people. The world can offer persecution toward us and and test our faith Sometimes our own flesh tempts us, and that's a test. And by the way, the details behind those are in your bulletin. You can look up what those are like. But if you're wondering, is God testing me right now? I've come up with a series of questions to help you answer that. God might be testing you if your name is Abraham and your son's name is Isaac. God might be testing you if you find yourself as part of a newly formed nation leaving Egypt, wandering as nomads in the desert for 40 years. And you might be tested by God if your name's Philip and Jesus asks you, 
how you're going to feed 5,000 people for dinner tonight. If it's not those, you might want to take a step back and say, I actually don't know if this is God or not, but it sure feels like a test. And here's the thing. It's part of humility to say, I don't know what's happening. So we need to be a little cautious to relate too closely to this text. But what I do want to do is walk through this with you and say, what can we learn about trials and testing in general? Because here's the kind of crazy part. Verse 1 says that God tested Abraham, but that's what we know. In literary language, it's third-person omniscience that we have as readers, but Abraham didn't have that perspective. It's not like God said, Abraham, I'm about to test you. And Abraham was like, okay, I'm ready. No, it just says that God said, Abraham. That's the intro to the test. We don't even know if Abraham knew he was being tested, but he said, here I am. So it's, it's a test, and it's a certain kind of test. So we need to tread lightly on this holy ground. And we can relate, because in James chapter 1, we see that all kinds of trials have something in common. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will become complete and mature, not lacking anything. And so we know that tests are different, different sources, different qualities, but they're all the same in the sense of God's goal in the midst of them is our growth and maturity, and I think that that's true in Genesis chapter 22. And notice, too, that it says God tested Abraham. It doesn't say that he tested his faith only, or that he tested his heart, or that he tested his actions and his performance. God tested the man, Abraham, as a whole. Because God wants all of us, not just our mental ascents, our emotions, or our obedience. He wants the whole package, and I think that's very important. Verse 2 says, he said, to Abraham, and now I think Abraham caught on that it was a test, of some sort, or maybe, it, maybe he just thought, this is what I must do. It says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Wow. Can you imagine that? To literally sacrifice your son. The person, really, the part of his life that meant the most at this point, in terms of his heritage. And God said, your son, your only son. Which is the same language used of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16. And so in verse 3 it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God showed him. Notice the timing of when Abraham obeys. Immediately. Early in the morning. God commanded Abraham to act, and the very next day, before his morning coffee, it says very early he got up 
And he didn't even wait to understand everything because God said, go to the place in general that I'm going to show you specifically. And he says, yes, sir. And here's why it's important to obey God immediately because delayed obedience is actually disobedience. We know this as parents really quickly, don't we? How much more important is it with God that when he says, obey, that we obey him immediately without question? And so here's my main point today. If you walk away with one thing, it's this. Trials offer us an opportunity to mature. To become better off than we were before the trial. Otherwise, a test is just cruel, right? So here's how it works. God speaks, we obey, and God changes us. It's really not that complicated, but it is difficult. Let's keep going. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now check this out. This is quite the trek. So Abraham was living in the land of the Philistines. And it's kind of a broad area, so I picked a a point on the map, and it's about 60 miles from what we know is where he landed, based on tradition, and 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1 was Jerusalem, actually. So it would have taken him roughly 20 hours walking, at least if you're looking on Google Maps. And he would have experienced an elevation change of 2,500 feet up. Everywhere is up to Jerusalem. And that's where he built the altar for his son Isaac. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Man, Isaac's really just, he has no idea what's about to happen. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And by the way, the fi- it's not like Abraham was like holding fire while he was walking up the mountain. It's not that dangerous. It was flint at the time. And so the two of them walked together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but um, where's that lamb for the burnt offering? So I want to pause for a moment and talk about Isaac's faith. Because we've talked a lot about Abraham's faith, but it's like, when we're going through a test, we need to consider that it's not just us going through the test, it's also the people close to us, especially our family that go through the fire together. And so what I want to say is, if you are going through a trial now, or when you do go through one, consider the kind of legacy that you want to leave. Not just then, but now. Because I think it's worthy to ask the question, what kind of father was Abraham? Besides the feature of a fun song, Father Abraham, many sons. Not yet, he just had one and he was about to lose him. So what kind of father was Abraham, or so he thought, that he could instill such faith in his child? What kind of mother was Sarah? Well, you kind of look at the fruit, right? And it's interesting that Abraham's answer was okay with Isaac. God will see to it. And that's what we see in the next verse. Verse 8 says, God himself Abraham said, we'll provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together in unity 
We need to be people who prepare those around us with us. Because we, we don't walk through trials alone sometimes. Oftentimes, it has a ripple effect. So together as people, we can prepare. And here's what's crazy. Abraham's faith is also highlighted in a really unique verse from Hebrews 11:19. In this moment, we have a snippet into what he believed. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Before Jesus' resurrection, Abraham's faith was so strong that he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He was willing to go all the way. Heart racing. Questions running through his mind. A willing heart at every step. Verse 9. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And now the story gets very interesting. Essentially, Abraham hog-ties his son and puts him on an altar where Isaac knows is where the animals are sacrificed. And I think if Isaac was at all human, even though he had strong faith instilled in him, I'm sure that he went into panic mode like, Dad, I knew that you said God was going to see to it, but I didn't know I was going to be the it. What's going on here? You know, it's like we don't know what went through Isaac's mind. But they're in this journey together, and, and all we know is that Isaac didn't run away. Verse 10 says, Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Notice that phrase again. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, because from now on, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, this is probably quite the moment, right? From a human standpoint, this is probably one of the strangest moments in the story of God where God tells someone to kill their son and then not too long after, it's like, no, 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 don't do anything to him at all. And it's like, I think Abraham probably felt tempted at a minimum to think that he was losing his mind. But notice what he actually says. Because I think this comes out of the overflow of the heart that God had cultivated in his life. He says, here I am. Again. This little phrase, here I am, is the language of obedience for servants of God throughout history. It's what Moses said to God when God called his name from the burning bush in the Midian desert. Moses, Moses, here I am. It's what the young boy Samuel said to Eli when he thought that Eli was calling him in the middle of the night, but it was actually three times the voice of the Lord calling his name, and he said, here I am. This is the language of obedience that we, say, that we see in the life of Abraham in Genesis 22, and he says it to God, his son, and the angel of the Lord. And the main point I want to draw out from this is that trials offer, offer us an opportunity to become stronger and to grow mature and complete in our faith. So I want to give you a tool so that you can do that. And the tool is quite simply this. If you want to train yourself in first-time obedience to the Lord, learn with me to say, here I am. Before we even know what God's going to ask of us. 
Because isn't it funny how that works? Each time, it's just Abraham. So church, let's be people who say, here I am. When we might lose our job and and God calls us out into uncharted waters, here I am. When we might have a child who wanders from the faith and we're discouraged and God calls out to us to be patient and to not lose heart, here I am. And when we wake up in the middle of the night and we just hear our name, let's be people who say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you want. Because whatever God speaks to us, we need to be ready at the drop of a hat to obey. Not because we're perfect, but because we're in relationship with Him. Because the truth is, is the moment, if it hasn't already, will come for all of us as we enter the fire. I believe in one way or another, we will face trials in this life. And the question is simply this, will you be ready to obey at that point? Will we be ready to obey? Because we are a church together, aren't we? Verse 13, And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. At the very moment when we are the most confused, dismayed, and even in the dark, God has the ability to do a complete reversal and completely save the day. Now, I know that 2020 has been a tough year for many people. In fact, some of you might feel like 2020 as a whole is one big trial for all of us. And I can relate. You know, I, I personally don't believe God is testing us, but the truth is, is who knows? We don't usually get privy to that information at the time. But as I mentioned, it doesn't really matter where it's coming from in one sense. Because the goal is always the same. It's to obey, which comes by hearing God speak, followed by faithfulness, and then God transforms us. You know, the truth is, this year has been one of the most difficult years in my life. Because my wife and I lost our daughter, Catherine, on June 2nd this year, when she was stillborn. And I knew it would be hard to share this with you this morning publicly, but I wanted to, because the truth is, we're still in the midst of it. This just happened last month. But I want to share our story and our suffering with you to encourage you, and just to be with you on the journey, and to be encouraged by you. Um, So let me tell you the story. Because the testing of our faith happens when we least expect it, right? We were so happy when our first daughter, Emma Rose, who was healthy, was born. And she's now 21 months old. And we thought that God would bless us with another healthy child. But on February 12th this year, when we went in for our routine ultrasound at 20 weeks, our midwife brought us into the room. And she said, I'm really concerned about your baby. And, you know, truth is, I was in denial. I was... But that was a hard day. Just, just the fact that they were really concerned 
And then five days later, we received the test results back, and it was conclusive. Our baby had been diagnosed with a lethal genetic disorder called trisomy 18, and she stood no chance at a normal life. Most babies with trisomy 18 die within weeks of birth if they survive birth at all. So we were, you know, understandably devastated by the news. And for three and a half months, while Rachel was pregnant, during the pandemic, we grieved, we wept, we mourned. And we even questioned God. How could this happen? You know? And why us? But let me be clear that I don't believe God was testing us. I think life is just hard sometimes. But it sure felt like a trial, and it was a test of our faith. And so we look to God in these difficult moments because we know, like Psalm 29.10 says, God is sovereign over the flood and the waters of chaos. And so we ask God to heal our girl. But he didn't. And so we ask God, if, can we just hold her alive before she passes? But we never held our daughter alive because she died shortly before she was born. And we buried our daughter this year, something I never thought I'd have to do. And we said goodbye to her until we see her again in heaven. And here's the truth. I know everyone's story. This is something I've learned, and suffering is different. And we are not through it yet. But I want to share with you this story, and I want to share with you how I've seen God in the midst of it, because he's faithful, and he's good. And, he's good. and here's what I've learned, and I am learning, is that God doesn't take the mystery away from the pain by explaining it as much as we want that. He doesn't take the pain away by dismissing it necessarily, but he does offer his presence in the midst of it. And here's the key. He always offers it, even if we don't see it, but he offers it to us. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Because notice in the passage in verse 13, it says Abraham looked up and he saw the provision of the Lord. And so in verse 14, it says that Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Not, it was a terrible experience. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so when the world looks at something as terrible, we say yes, but we also say there is hope. We don't grieve as the world grieves, and that is true, but we also don't grieve as the world grieves because we're not alone. And I don't know why God let our daughter die. I have no answers, but I can say this, that God was present with us in our pain, and he still is. I can't tell you how he might show up for you or when, but I can tell you that he showed up for us, and I can literally enumerate the ways that God manifests his overwhelming love of God for us. And the truth is, is that in the, pro in the progression of obedience 
of hearing God, obedience, and transformation, our obedience was just hanging on. And I love that in Ephesians 6, Paul says, and after you've done everything, just to stand. Because sometimes that's the best we can do. And so he showed up for us from the beginning to the end, carrying us along. He showed up through the encouragement of friends when we needed it, by giving us wisdom and guidance on how to make decisions through the uncharted territory of losing a child. He provided us with a doula who specializes in helping couples walk through infant loss. And that story involves a miraculous connection. He showed us He showed up for us through the dozens of you who brought us food, mowed our lawn, wrote cards, and sat with us simply to say, I'm sorry. Isn't that interesting? That sometimes God doesn't do more than that, but just sits with us and says, I'm so sorry. God showed up through you, Harpeth. Thank you for being the hands, the feet, and the voice of God But you know what was the best? You know what was the most meaningful? It was when God himself manifest his presence to us in one of our darkest moments when we were in the hospital. The night Catherine was born, we experienced God in that room in a way that that only we can explain to ourselves and receive from God. So I can't explain it to you, but I can say that it was real. And that's what God does for his children. And he does it time and time again. The question is, do we have eyes to see it? Do we have a heart to receive it? And so I just want to encourage you in your trial, whether it's now or in the future, to simply open your eyes to see God. Because when we have eyes to see him, the truth is, is a lot of times the mystery doesn't go away. In my experience, it stays, but his presence makes it beautiful. And he makes us more beautiful in the process. And that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham became a different person even more than he had already. God tested him not to be cruel or unusual, God tested him for his own sake so that he would grow even stronger. And that's God's heart, whatever test may come. It says in verse 15, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves. Because you have obeyed my voice. And so I want to focus on this last verse. By your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves. This is a prediction of Jesus the Messiah. The truth is, our trials aren't just for us. How we handle them by the grace of God doesn't just impact our lives as individuals, 
for Abraham, it was massive. The repercussions, the effects, the impact lasted even until today because we can enter and we do enter the blessing of Abraham that was confirmed in Genesis 22 when we join the great commission to make disciples of all nations. It says, by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing. How? Through Jesus the Messiah who said, go and make disciples of all nations. And why is that a blessing? It's a blessing because we're teaching people obedience. Obedience is not a burden, but a blessing that we pass on to others when we teach them to hear, to obey, and to be transformed. And so, how do we do this? How do we prepare ourselves? And it's, it's, it's kind of like how you practice for any game. You do the thing. By learning to obey God's voice like Abraham. I don't think this was the first trial that Abraham, I mean, we know that he had had many different interactions with the Lord, but it wasn't the first time he heard God's voice, was it? He had been formed over years of hearing and responding. And here's the thing, this is Abraham at 100. I'd like to see him at at 12. We don't know what he was like, do we? But he was formed. There's hope for all of us. But it's important as we prepare for and walk through trials to just simply obey. Verse 19 says, So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba, And so it's finally the resolution of the story. It just says Abraham stayed in Beersheba. And I love that. Life is not one constant test for most of us. It's the moments that come after a long time of waiting. But it's through consistent first-time obedience to the Lord's voice that we're ready when those moments do come, especially if we're here I am kind of people. And here's the truth. For Abraham... And for us, none of us has perfect faith. I'm on a journey. We're on a journey. And the truth is, is Rachel and I walked through this trial this year. We didn't handle things perfectly. It's not about perfection, though. In one sense, it's about presence. Sticking with it. And by God's grace and only by His grace, as we look to Jesus, the author who began our faith and the perfecter who finishes our faith, He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we learn from. He's the one that we lean on because he is the one who faced the ultimate test. And so as we move into a time of communion, let's look to Christ, our sacrifice, and connect his life, his death, and his resurrection to Genesis 22. Because the truth is, Genesis 22 has a plot hole in it, you could say. There's a gaping hole right in the middle of the text, and you may have missed it. I did. Abraham says that God will see to it and provide a lamb for the burnt offering. But what animal did he actually catch in the thicket? It was a ram. Now, I know they rhyme, lamb and ram. But the truth is they're qualitatively different And it actually, although at first blush seems like just a detail, I think it's significant because the truth is, is, as I mentioned, where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac, but he did sacrifice the ram, 
became the temple mount where the priests did offer the lambs for the sins of the people day after day. But the author of Hebrews in chapter 7, verse 27 says, unlike the other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. He sacrificed for our sins once and for all when he offered himself. The beauty of the cross is that Jesus, thank you, is the fulfillment of the ultimate test. Not only did he walk to the mountain, but he was the sacrifice, and he actually did die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as we take communion today, we remember that none of us knows how to and can walk through a trial. It's only because of Jesus. And so we gain so much confidence as we think about life, whatever comes next, whatever, here I am. Man, that's good. That is good news, isn't it? Whatever may come, God is with us, God enables us, and God gives us an example. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. This was an episode featured on the Hymn Publications blog. Make sure to subscribe to our blog to get weekly content delivered to your inbox. Go to hymnpublications.com and click on the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Until next time.